Well, um, I guess for myself, it'd be pretty easy. I was thinking to travel three, four thousand miles, come down here and visit you folks, and then pretend to be something that I'm not. Because uh, I sure didn't come here with a lot of answers. And it seems the older I get, the more questions I have. And the less answers I've got, we have had many, many failures. So I'm not starting off on a very good foot telling you we've had so many failures. But any of the work that, my, that we have been involved in, it has been myself and my wife. Sometimes you hear somebody say, well, uh, his wife is behind him in the work. I want to say that my wife has been beside me, I think, in the work. And I wouldn't even want to try to imagine to, to work in gospel work that we try to do without her being involved and involved all the time. I think a woman brings into a spiritual work or any kind of a work, she brings in an emotional side of it that men don't see at all. There will be many times when Merle will say, my wife's name is Merle, and when she will say, uh, you know, uh, what, do you think what they're thinking? And I haven't even thought at all what they're thinking. And she will see things that I know that I don't even begin to see with the people. But we have been trying to work in what is commonly called new work for the last about 35 years. Now, every assembly is involved in new work in one way or another. And I, by new work, I simply mean that, that uh, I'm not an itinerant preacher. Uh, in all the years, we go to very few assemblies. We've just gone into new places or on three different occasions to places where an assembly was down to seven or eight believers and worked there to see souls saved, to see that little gathering built up. And altogether, we have worked in about 10 different places. And we're presently in La Crete, which is about, if you get to Billings, Montana, and you drive to the Canadian-U.S. border past Billings, and then if you drive another 15 hours about, you will arrive at La Crete. We are almost at the Northwest Territories border. For anybody that might know the map at all, um, the Americans have um, a base at Cold Lake, Alberta, which is some distance from us, but I think they do it for cold weather training up there for pilots and whatever. So that's where we're at, and it's in a presently working in a Mennonite community where we live. There's about 8,000 Mennonites, and mixed into those Mennonites, there might be 100 people that are not Mennonites. There's 25 Mennonite churches in that community, and nobody else except a small assembly of believers. There's no Jehovah Witness. There's no Baptist. There's no Pentecostal. There's no Catholic. There's no nobody except Mennonites, and they are a proud religious people, and the Lord saved a number there, and so we uh, have an assembly there today. But the opposition has been extremely fierce. When you get baptized, they're cut off by everybody. And so, as a result, 29 have moved. 
And so we've got a small group there that we still meet with and we continue to try to work in the gospel in that place. But then as well, we spend a great deal of our time in the Northwest Territories in the Arctic, going to villages and towns of people that are, you could just say, totally in the dark. And we were at 18 villages this winter, villages and towns, and there's a Catholic church in every single village, even if there's only 50 homes. And in 18 villages, there was only two of them that had a little evangelical mission. And the one looked like it was closed up, and the other was a little Pentecostal mission. So there's not very much other than Roman Catholic in these places. So we spend our time going there. So that gives you a little idea. And I mentioned last night we have three daughters and they are married, and we have six grandchildren, so that gives you all the history of, our, of ourselves. I've been enjoying looking at Exodus 17, where the cloud stopped at Rephidim, and the, uh, the children of Israel there start to grumble and complain because there's no water at Rephidim. And I've thought to myself, you know, isn't it strange that that we always think the place that we are at is not as good as the other place. It always seems that God is working over there and God is working down there and in that country and in that place. But here we are, here's Israel at Rephidim, and yet it was there that Moses struck the rock and the water gushed forth and the people drank and they were satisfied and that water is running today, and our responsibility is to bring people to the water that is, that is uh, running from the rock, and it runs to this day. And those who drink of that water will be eternally satisfied if we could just get this thought into our mind. But the question might be, how do we go about trying to reach the people? So I want to just take and read a couple of verses a few different places. And maybe first of all, if we could read in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 and verse number 32. I'm just reading for the last part of the verse, a little expression in the last part of that verse. <clears throat> and we'll read the whole verse in Luke 6 and 32. And it says, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? And then Jesus made these words, this little statement at the end. He says, for even sinners love those who love them. Sinners love those who love them. And uh, that's a tremendous thing to get into our mind. Sinners will love those who love them. Then if we could take a look over in Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs 11 and verse number 30. And in Proverbs 11 and verse number 30, it says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever wins souls is wise. So the one who wins souls is wise. Then if we could go to Luke chapter 19 and verse number 29. When he, that is, when Jesus drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount of, that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, 
Go into the village in front of you, where in entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And then in Mark 14, and verse number 13, we just read there about going into a village, and now we're going to read about going into a city. In Mark 14 and verse 13. And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. And I want it for those words. He's carrying a pitcher of water. He's carrying a burden. And the word is to follow him. And then the last reading in chapter 16 and verse 15 of Mark. Mark chapter 16 and verse number 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, to all the creation. I think we have to face the fact that we today are living in a changed world. Um, A great deal of changes have taken place lately and in the last few years, I don't have to save how much changes there has, has been. I mean, it's tremendous. I heard a man speaking in an assembly here about four, and maybe it was five years ago, and uh, he said, everyone in North America, he was talking about how blessed we are, and he said, everyone in North America knows John 3.16. And like one young fellow said to me, what's he been smoking? And, uh, well, you just think, you know, my goodness sakes, the man did not know where he was at because in North America today, all kinds of people have never heard of John 3.16. That wasn't true when I was a a boy. I wouldn't be surprised when I was a boy that a lot of people did know John 3.16, but things have changed and it's been a few years since I was a boy. And in North America today, we have different cultures and we have different income and different lifestyles and we've got different religions and then a growing bunch of them, there's just simply no religion. In the 1960s, and uh, that's way back and some of these young fellows here, it just seems archaic to them. But in the 1960s, we first started, I was saved in 1958 and in the early 60s, some other brothers would take us out and we'd work in kids' work, kids' meetings. And, uh, you know, Bible hour kind of idea for kids on Friday nights or Monday nights. And we'd collect up up the children and, and bring them in. And in general, the kids knew the Bible stories. They knew about Jesus a little bit. Well, they all had their own religions. And they most went, it seems to be, most of them went to church. But they had those... They knew about the Ten Commandments and they had a respect for God and they had a respect and a, and a fear of God, but things have tremendously changed. Like if you ask a boy today, when he, you see him all dressed up, and you say, why, you got on your Sunday best? Well, I think he'd know that that meant I have on my best clothes. But he wouldn't know that Sunday best was a few years ago connected with church and you got in your Sunday best to go to church. But he, he wouldn't know about that, so, so things have changed. I guess you could say we came to a Y on the road back there where Madeline O'Hare, prayer out of the school, Bible teaching out of the schools, and, 
and all those different things turned out of the schools and then the educational system today is turning out young people, maybe not just the educational system, but lack of respect for authority, lack of respect for God, lack of respect for parents. And tragically, that's what we are, that's what we are, are facing today. And then even amongst the leaders, it, in my little mind, it seemed that it started with Watergate and then you had Jimmy, 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 what's your, uh, the other, uh, the, uh, what's the other president? That was Clinton, 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 Bill Clinton, I guess it was Bill Clinton. And then you got uh, our good old Canadian. I think he's in a Florida jail down here right now, Conrad Black. And he was a big media multimillionaire, and then he steals some money. So all the kids are, are looking at that and, you could say that the gap is, is widening and the gap between us and the world has become very, very wide. Today, to a large extent, there's no church affiliation whatsoever. And it's just, um, just getting farther out. I was just talking to our brother Malcolm and we have met a number of people and I've only become conscious of it in the last five years. How many young people I have met and asked them about sin. And they look at you blankly. They haven't got a clue what that word means. They never even heard it before. It's not on TV. It's not on the radio. It's not in the, in, it's not in the newspaper. It's just not, unless they're listening to a Christian radio broadcast, they don't even know what sin is. So we're down at the bottom of the line, as it were. Atheists, they used to be quite content to just do their thing and not believe in God and, and mind their own business, but now they're more aggressive. And what is it, Richard Dawkins has got his buses over there in England, and he's, I don't know if he's brought them to North America yet or not, but we hear that they're coming in Canada. Pardon me? Is there? So, you know, they're, they're, they're really pushing ahead and the generation of the young, you could say, well, they're looking around and, well, where is there such a thing as reality? And they're not finding it. But um, is everything lost? No, I don't think so at all. But there's one thing I am satisfied with. The gospel work today, maybe it's always been like this, but I think, and this is only my thinking, and you could think something altogether different, but it's a personal work. And it's you and me on a one-to-one -one basis that we are going to meet the people. It's not so much that we are going to expect people to come into the church gathering and thank God when they do, but it's going to be uh, personal contact. So the question and what I'd like to spend most of the time maybe on it this, this morning is how do I function personally with people and how do I get across the message of the gospel personally. Quite often in the morning, not every morning, I should every morning, but before I get out of bed and start the morning, just lying in bed, I say, now Lord, you know, it's another day. Thanks. Sun shining in. Thanks for the sun. and Thanks for health and being able to get up out of bed this morning. But Lord, I'm available today and I would like you to use me today and... Uh, I'd like to be available and whoever's crossing my path. And so when I pray that, 
I can't pick and choose who God is going to bring me across because I've heard people talk a stupid statement and maybe I've thought it in the past. I don't think I ever said it. Well, you know, he, he's not assembly material. I hope you've never heard such a thing as that. And, <laughs> and uh, yet, you know, there can be an attitude, well, don't bother with that person because uh, he's, not, he's not really up to it. So if I'm praying and asking God to bring me in touch with people, that means that I'm going to have to be friendly. And that means that I am going to have to be friendly to everybody that I meet. The person on the elevator, the girl taking my money at the 7-Eleven, the checkout girl at the grocery store, and I'm going to have to be friendly and kind, and the man at the gas station, the person at the gas station, whoever it is, I am going to have to be very, very friendly. And then I'm going to have to keep in mind that Jesus said the poor will have the gospel preached to them and I'm satisfied for myself. He does not necessarily mean financially poor. Yes, the financially poor, but we've got a lot in the world today that are not financially poor, but they're emotionally poor and they're spiritually poor and they're poor in all kinds of ways. When it comes to God, they are totally com completely poor. We had the privilege of running across a man uh, a few years ago when we lived in Lethbridge, Alberta, which is north of, of Montana. He was about in his early 70s when we met him, Harold Sheffield. Harold is gone to be with the Lord now, but Harold was one unique character. In fact, all the young people that we were around loved Harold, and they called him that old dude. But he was a remarkable man. For his entire life, he had worked at the Canadian-U.S. border as a border guard. He was taught two things, and he used to teach us those two things. I don't think I learned them like I should, but I'm still working on it. And if I live to be as old as Methuselah, maybe I'll get a hold of some of them. He taught us how to listen and how to observe. And at the border... He said, we had course after course, training after training after training, how to observe and how to listen. And dear brother Harold, he could talk to the town bum. And when he walked away, that town bum would think he was the mayor of Lethbridge because Harold would listen intently as the young little boy would come along. And Harold, he was an older man and a little guy would along to Mr. Sheffield and Mr. Sheffield would get down on his one knee and look him eye to eye and look at him and I can tell you that Christians loved him and the children loved him and it wasn't because they walked around giving out candy or anything else. That man listened and he observed and he could observe and see when a believer came in and they were troubled, problem, something like that and dear brother Harold would be the first one to be there encouraging them, talking to them. And yet in all the time we knew him, he came amongst us in the assembly and he was just a blessing to us. And dear brother Harold never preached a sermon. He wouldn't stand up in front of people and his, to save his neck. He just could not begin to do that. And I also have to tell you something else. A number of years earlier, his uh, wife who used to grumble and complain a lot about him and his driving and nothing he, poor Harold did was right. She was quite a demanding sister, lady, wife, whatever you want to call her. <laughs> and 
Finally, it came around time for Harold to renew his license. And this was when he was in his 50s. And so he just didn't bother renewing his license. Came time to get a new license, and Harold never drove again. He says, you drive. So she drove, and he rode on the other side, and he rode the bus, and he went to work that way. So I just have to pass that on along. It's got nothing to do with anything, but <laughs> Harold was a dear brother. And then we read in Luke chapter 6 and verse 32. I think it's a statement that Jesus made that if we would put it into the back of our minds, it would change us entirely and completely because our Lord himself said that even sinners love those that love them. What is the greatest need that every single person has? Psychologists tell us that food is necessary and drink is necessary, but the greatest basic need that every single person has is to be loved. So why don't we love them? They tell us, some say, whoever they are, that a baby can be fed and washed and bathed and cared for and diapered and kept dry and uh, given everything that baby needs. But if that baby is not loved, they say the baby will die or at least get very, very sick and it won't progress. So why don't we learn that as Christians? If Jesus said even sinners love those that love them, how, why don't we love them? How, how are we going to uh, go about winning people? It's going to be by love. And there's one thing for sure. If we are going to take and love people, we're going to try to help people, be kind to people, care for people, minister to people, we are going to have times when we are abused. Our Lord was abused. Look, at they took his, they, he fed the multitude, and then a few days later, they're out to uh, crucify him. So he was abused, and we will be abused. One time in Lethbridge, in Lethbridge, we are... Uh, when we, the Lord came in and saved around three or 400 Hutterite people, plus some from the community, and, and dozens were leaving the colonies, and we were looking for a building, and we bought an old building right downtown on the main drag. And Lethbridge is a city of about 75,000 people, and it was a pretty run-down place. It had been closed up. Anyway, we fixed the place up, and we used to get a lot of people coming in off the street. They're walking by, and, and uh, they'd come in, or we'd invite, invite them in. One night, as had happened numerous times, a fellow came in and uh, he had a bus ticket. He was going from Lethbridge to Calgary, he said, to start a job. And he showed me his bus ticket, but he had no money. And uh, the guy looked a little seedy and I was a little worried about bringing him home and giving him a place to sleep at our house because I wasn't sure 100% about this fella. So I took him down to the cheapest motel I knew in town and paid for a room and gave him $20 because he had such a great story. And he listened so graciously to the gospel and he heard everything we had to say. Fine, there he's gone. Figured he'd gone to Calgary. Two or three days later, I was out to another town to visit a man and I was to meet the man in a, in a coffee shop. And I walk in there and who's sitting there eating is yours truly. The <laughs> fellow that had just ripped me off for a room and, uh, and $20. So. 
if you're going to help people and love people, you're going to be abused sometimes. But that shouldn't make any difference at all. We keep on trying to help people, minister to people, if you're going to win people to Christ and win them to the Lord. It's going to be by loving the people, showing kind to the people and kindness to the people. And in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30, we read that he that winneth souls is wise. And if you look up that word win in your Bible dictionary, the word has to do with winning their trust and winning their confidence. It's like a young man, he gets his eye on this little girl and he thinks, man, she would make a great wife for me. And so a fellow that never was conscious of uh, shining his shoes or pressing his pants or his collar was dirty or if his, if his teeth were properly brushed, you just watch him. He starts to change. And he uh, shines his shoes and he presses his pants and he makes sure that he's using uh, all the right stuff to look and groom and, and look good. Why? He's trying to win that girl's affection. This is what we are doing when it comes to the gospel. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, you became followers of us and of the Lord. And before they follow the Lord, they are going to follow us. And so he that winneth souls is wise. And if I could just try to encourage us that it is taking and trying to win the affection and the heart and the mind and the thoughts of the people. And it takes hard work and it takes time. And now I just want to say this. I recognize that most of us here have jobs unless we're retired or laid off. We have, for the last 30, 35 years, have not had to go to a full-time job. And so some of the things I say apply to us. Like I go and spend my day looking to try and get in touch with people. Now, I, when, I, when I had a job, I was not able to do that all the time. But I think much of what I say applies to all of us because we can all look for that individual who is searching and seeking and wanting to know the things of God. And I should also say that I suggest there's a difference between an evangelist and a witness. I'm suggesting to us that not everyone is an evangelist. As far as I can see from Ephesians 4, the evangelist is a gift that's given to the church. And that person is one who has an ability, we'll call it, or a gift from the risen head, our Lord Jesus Christ, to go out and to reach the people. Maybe not everyone has been given that gift. And that's great. But if I could say this, we are all called to be witnesses. And a witness is someone who primarily is answering questions. Like if you and I are standing over the corner here and a truck goes flying along and some guy goes through the stop sign and crash, smash, and everything ends up in a great big heap, and we're called to court to witness what we saw. And you would say what you saw, and he would say what he saw, and I'd say what I saw, and we're witnesses. So to a great extent, I suggest that all of us are witnesses, 
not necessarily all of us have been gifted as evangelists. If I could say this, my wife and I go visiting door to door. We spend a lot of time knocking on the door. But my wife doesn't knock on the door. That's not her bag. She's happy to go with me. She waits in the truck. And when I come to the door, if uh, up north, you're always invited in the house. But within a minute or two, I can determine this won't be long. Or if I find that people got a little heart and a little ear to listen, I say, hey, do you mind if I bring my wife in? They're always happy. And I open the door, and she comes in. And she's happy to do that. But she's not into going and knocking at the door. That's fine. It's great having her in the truck and I can come out and laugh about what the guy said or didn't say or whatever happened. And so it, it works fine. But another problem we have in North America amongst believers is that people get the thinking, Christians have the idea that a missionary goes to either India, China, Russia, Africa, or some far off place, South America, or to the Caribbean or somewhere, but not in North America, because this is a Christian country, you know. A missionary, this country desperately needs missionaries, and I have said for years that we are missionaries, and we read there in Luke chapter 19, Jesus said to the two disciples, Go into the village over against you. The King James Version says over against you. I'm reading from the English Standard Revised, and it says go to the village over in front of you. And so there is people that Jesus is sending out to the village that's over in front of you. And if I could say this, people are not all indifferent. We get the idea and the thinking in North America, nobody wants to hear the gospel. That is simply not true. It's a lie from the devil. Somehow we have swallowed it, and we've come to think that, and we imagine it so to be, but it is not true in any sense, in any sense of the imagination. And Jesus sent two disciples over there, and they were to go to the village over in front of them. And right in front of us in North America, I understand there are 600,000 students in North America today, in the United States, plus 60,000 in Canada, 660,000 students from other countries in university and colleges and training places in this country. And 200,000 of them come from countries that is forbidden to preach the gospel there. That's almost a quarter million students from countries where you and I can't go to take the gospel to them. And yet here they are in our own backyard. And there's thousands of them from communist countries. 200, I believe it's 200,000 or more of them are from China in this country in school. And so uh, here we have a tremendous opportunity in this country. Now, there's those that are more able to go to a college than me. When I finished grade 8 school, well, you know, I go into a college, I think I would feel a little lost, but there are those who are maybe more able, plus they're younger, and possibly that is an area to consider and to, to work in. But Jesus said you're going to find a colt, and that colt is tied. And here we have people that we are going out to today, and these people are tied. And it takes patience, 
and it takes time and it takes effort to loose that colt that's tied. And I'm afraid a lot of the times is that we don't take the time with people to take and untie. It takes time to unravel the ropes that have tied them up. And they're tied in religion or no religion and atheism. They're tied in drugs and drink. They're tied in all sorts of bondage in which they're tied. And Jesus said to go out and loose it and then bring the colt to Jesus. That's what he asked those two disciples to do. And when we go out to the people... I think we have to get out of our thinking of bringing people to church. Nothing wrong with that. But a lot of the times, we have found that all they think is you're looking for a church member. Instead, bring the person to Jesus. So, if Jesus was physically here today, what would we do? We would bring that individual down to hear what Jesus had to say to the people. Well, can't we do the same when we meet somebody and you'll find them, they've got a little bit of an ear and we say, come to church and right away they put their feet down. For ourselves, I don't ask, my wife and I don't ask a person to come to church to a service until we are absolutely sure they're going to come because otherwise we have lost too many and they pull back and they think oh, all they're looking for is church members and they either got their church or they don't have any church and they're not interested in church. So we try to bring them to, to the Lord Jesus. So how do we go about it? Well, when I meet somebody and if I met Ben here and Ben had, we got a little talk and Ben had, after talking about the weather and about his truck and his place where he works and what he hopes to do and then... I'll, I'll in a few minutes talk about how I would actually maybe present the gospel to Ben but say you know he's got a little bit of an interest what would you consider having a Bible study well if you say we'd like to have some Bible studies ooh they think they're thinking oh man that's a big book and I'm going to be a long time in that book so I say I'd like to have with you Ben three Bible studies and I'd like to take up Genesis chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, and John chapter 3. And people, right away, they think, oh, there's an end to this. Yeah, I'll go for three Bible studies. And so we just go Genesis 3, Romans 3, and John 3. And by time, if you have those three Bible studies, that person you know has got an interest or not. Usually even by the time you've done Genesis 3. But I have found it far more successful to have those three Bible studies. And I've had numerous people say, yeah, that'd be all right. And so where do you want to have them? Well, um, they can go to your house or they can come to my house. But I have found that coming to people's house, they feel a little bit like, well, if he comes to my house, he might hang around and how do I get rid of him? And if I come to his house, well, maybe I'm kind of stuck in there, and how do I get out of there? And so your weather is such that you can say, what if we go down to that picnic table at the park? Or in Canada, and it's too bad the United States doesn't have them, but you do have Dunkin' Donuts, I think, around this country. We have Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons is on every corner. And we have Bible studies for years 
in Tim Hortons, especially on Saturday nights. Tim Hortons is kind of dead. They're happy to take a table in the corner and have a Bible study in the corner. And it's amazing how many people have joined up and had Bible studies at Tim Hortons. And so, but it can, can work anywhere. So that's only a suggestion. But those three Bible studies works tremendously. At least we have found it extremely successful. When I quit saying, want to have some Bible studies with you, then they're happy to take up three little chapters and just... Um, so then here it is, a man over in the village against you, and he's bearing a pitcher of water. So he's a man with a burden. And I suggest that we go out and we look for people that have got a burden. And so my wife says that I pray on people because I go every morning and every evening, afternoon to the coffee shop and I go in and you get to see the same people come in there. And then you try and get a table next to them and then you try and talk to them and then you get into conversation and you talk about their work and their family and you talk about um, all the different discussions that, and at first they're wary and then after a while, if you listen they will pour out their heart to you. It's just great. They will just dump on you, give you all kinds of information, and then to bring the conversation around to the gospel. I just met a man some time ago, maybe six, eight months ago now, and you could see he had a burden. In fact, I found out his wife left him, and he's 57 years old, and his name is Jake Hebert, and Jake's got to like you coming and sit down and have coffee, and I let him talk to me about all his problems and his troubles and his kids and his grandchildren. I don't know what all he talked about. And then bringing around him to the gospel. And then would you like to have, what if we tried three Bible studies? And Jake came over to our house Sunday afternoon because he didn't want to, he said, I don't know about a Bible study in a restaurant. He was afraid of being seen with the Bible. So fine, our house Sunday afternoon, three o'clock. And he came for the three and he kept coming and kept coming and God saved him six weeks ago. And from the day he got saved, he was a heavy smoker and he loved his booze. And he, from that day, he got saved. He still got a third of a pack of cigarettes. He, 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 carried, he doesn't carry it around now, but he had it and he quit smoking. He quit drinking that same day. He hasn't had a drink since. Changed his life dramatically and he's still coming for Bible studies, bringing his, his daughter came Two Sundays ago, she's been there the last two Sunday afternoons at 3 o'clock, who the girl's at 30 years old, a single mother, and she's been coming with him. And so, yeah, look for a person that's got a burden, and you can find them. And the person with a burden, you'll find him sitting. He comes in for the coffee shop, and he comes to the same table, sits in the corner, and drinks his coffee. And I personally think that people are not... They're not against you, they're disillusioned and they're afraid and now they're sitting down here to listen. And then Jesus sent them into the city and there was the man with a pitcher of water but he said, follow him. And here is where we fail as Christians. Do we follow up on the individual? Do we follow up on our contact? We listen, we might pray a little bit, talk to them a little bit, but do we follow up? And I hope you'll excuse me if I use the pronoun I too often, but uh, there's a Chinese 
man came to our town 18 months ago and opened a Chinese restaurant. And so we went down to have some Chinese food. Then I stopped in to see Richard a few times. And then for the last maybe 16 months, I go twice a week to Richard. I look, observe when there's not many cars or maybe no cars at the restaurant, and I go in and have a, a drink, and Richard will sit down, and at least twice a week we can have a half-hour discussion on the Bible. He's a Mormon, comes from Hong Kong, and he was raised as a Mormon, but he's listening to the gospel, and he's listening to you talk about the Lord Jesus, but it's a long-term project. And this has been going on for 16 months now, and we go in at least twice a week, and sometimes more often. And people are looking for friends, somebody to be a friend. Because how many people are there that are truly our friend? And we need to be working to build relationships and to build up a relationship with people. And every single person is a potential for the gospel. The man that's the drunk on the street corner or the dope addict or anybody else is potential for the gospel. And you and I can bring the gospel to these people and we can win people to Christ. And yes, even the ones that, are, that have been drinking and are drunk. Now, I've spilled off here for quite a while. Has anybody got any comments or questions to say and uh, things to add? And then we could maybe, after, take a look at uh, John chapter 4 because I want to spend most of our time, and I hope, in John chapter 4. And I don't have a watch. What, what time is it now? Does anybody know? Five minutes to ten. Okay. After ten. Okay. So does anybody? I don't want to. I don't want to. I get tired of listening to my own voice. Yes, brother Steve. Ben, Ben's dad, Dan, who's now moved. We used to meet at Panera Breads in the morning, and we'd have a Bible study. And it's amazing how many people started gathering around our table asking questions. Sometimes we had a nice group, and a number of these people we've kept in contact over the over the weeks and months that we've met them. Or Barnes & Noble, we've met groups just to go over math, uh, to tutor math sometimes. We get a group together and all of a sudden we start going over the script. The next thing you know, you hear all these people listening and they don't come to you, they don't go to places, but they're listening. And some of them come over and ask questions, some of them go, ah, well, I don't want to hear that and so forth. But it's when you get out in there, you're, you're purposing uh, to share the Lord, but as we share with one another, there's always people there to have an ear, and the Lord will bring I, them across your path. I think so. And, and there's a couple of them that we've been praying. Up. I've been asked, I don't want to go to church, but I'm asking God to show me somebody I can talk to. And a number of those people, Dan and I, have met in different places that we've met for breakfast to go over a Bible study. And it's it's very effective that way. Like you were saying, you go to, you go to the donut shop or a coffee shop or something like that. The Lord will bring somebody across your path that, like you say, that has a need or something along that, that, those lines. So, anyway. There's a brother in Woodstock, Ontario. He's getting to be elderly now, but he has had a, a, what he calls a prayer breakfast in a restaurant 
and I think it's at least 35 to 40 years now he's gone there once a week and it's amazing how many people he has seen blessed if not one to the Lord um, and I th- believe our biggest problem is nobody knows where we are nobody knows who we are we're all in kind of in this little incognito if we would get out where the people are and in fact maybe start having your services at what do you call this bread place we have a baptism service on the beach uh, usually at the end of the month and, and there's a time to be able to share with some of the people at the beach also so which is okay. very good and very effective you need to have a baptism service every week then <laughs> Well, a fellow I just mentioned that got saved, the first, quite often with, with him, with a person, but with Jake, he told me the first time that he had some heart troubles. And so I, in the conversation, I said to him, yeah, it's quite amazing, eh, that, uh, that in every human body, there's 60,000 miles of blood vessels. And he was astounded. He I said, that's the truth. If you don't believe me, Jake, go home and look on the internet. There's 60,000 miles of blood vessel, enough blood vessels to go around the world two and a half times if they stretched all your blood vessels. He said, wow. And so we talked about the heart and that. I said, you know, it sure shows that, boy, you know, people say there's uh, evolution. We all came from a bit of slime that climbed up out of the Amazon and <laughs> turned into an amoeba or whatever and became a monkey and then became a man. But I said, that shit a lot of... No, yeah, he said it really is. And so I, I remember the first time we, because I've gone that avenue quite often, because I think Paul did that on Mars Hill. He took the people to the Creator. So I quite often myself go to the Creator or tar- start talk about how in our Milky Way galaxy there's 200 billion Stars, and you think, you know, and there's, they tell us there's 100 to 200 billion galaxies in the world. Wow, like it's un, unreal. And then bring them there, and then you start to see if they've got their brakes on towards God and they don't even want to discuss God. With Jake, he was relatively open, and he says now he doesn't even know if he knew that I was talking to him about God. But then, then slowly move it, not that time, but then next visit into uh, the God of peace and what God has done in my life. But moving very slowly. I don't know if that answers your question or not, or your comments there, Malcolm. And when you do the, the, the three chapters, you said Genesis, Genesis 3... Romans 3 and John 3, do you just, do you see what they have to say? Do you no, I'd probably do most of the talking. Okay, most yeah, of the talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I might try and include them some, but they we read the chapter and then just kind of do a little commentary on the chapter by going through verse by verse and reading the person if they're getting uptight and bored and all then go quickly. Otherwise, just take your time. And most people find it relatively interesting. 
at least that's the route that I have gone in those three chapters. I, I guess I like it, brother, in that in Genesis 3 we can show the problem how sin came into the world. And man is separated because of sin. Romans chapter 3 deals with ju- justification. And John 3 is how Jesus talked. And so I just use those three. But no doubt a person could use something else. But I think those three chapters lay out what I would like to get across to every person that I wish that every person was aware of and that they knew. And those three chapters, to my mind, get across the message that we have to get across to the people. Well, we found in the past, when I first worked in the gospel, and maybe for the first number of years, that I talk to people, talk to people, talk about sin, and talk about this, and about the Savior, and salvation, and the cross, and, and trusting Jesus as Savior. But it's all this talk. But, yeah, people got saved. But nothing like when they take the Word of God, and they look at the Word of God, and the Word of God makes the effect. And I usually will say, would you read the chapter? So they are reading it themselves. And you take in a lot more when you're reading it yourself than when somebody is reading it to you. And I would maybe bring along uh, a couple of Bibles and maybe a more simplified version like an NIV or some more simple version than King James. Especially amongst the people where we work, there's an average of grade 4 to grade 8 education. Many of them don't read well at all and some don't read, period. So uh, you need something that's quite simple. But it seems to me we have seen much more blessing, much more blessing when they have the Word of God that they're looking at. And uh, it is what makes the effect rather than all the talk that I can possibly make. And the other good thing is when they go home, if they have enough interest, they can go back and look at that chapter again. They know, otherwise they're just trying to remember what I said. So... So you would give them a Bible if they don't have it. Yeah, yeah. And so I usually give them one anyway because uh, I want to, both of us have the same version that we're using.